this is Alan Schimmel, DevOps.com, and we're here for another DevOps chat. And we're happy to be joined again by a uh, repeat uh, guest on DevOps chat, none other than Nigel Kirsten of Puppet. Nigel, welcome. Hey, Alan. Talk to you again. Good to speak with you. So, Nigel, um, we're not talking about the latest and greatest from Puppet today, though maybe if you want to just mention it quickly, you know, feel free. But we, I wanted to really talk a little bit about uh, the upcoming Does London event, Gene Kim's DevOps Enterprise Summit, which is June 5th and 6th uh, in London at the QE2 Center. And you will be presenting there, correct? I will be. Yep, with Dr. Nicole Forsgren, who's one of the other authors of the DevOps Report. And DevOps Enterprise Summit London last year, I think, was honestly one of the best events I've been to in this space for a long time. And I adore London for lots of reasons, and so it's always great to be back there. Yeah, and and Nigel, correct me if I'm wrong, is Jez, Jez Humble, also presenting with you and Dr. Nicole? I think Jez probably will be, um, but I'm not sure if it's quite confirmed yet. We're sort of trying to work out how we're covering all of the different events for the various roadshows and webinars we're doing around the DevOps Enterprise Summits and the DevOps Enterprise Report. Yep. Okay. So I guess we'll we'll stand by for final confirmation on that. But certainly you and Dr. Nicole will be on. And, and of course, uh, Nicole uh, has appeared on our show before. And we've talked a little bit about not only this year's uh, DevOps survey, but past years as well. But for Nigel, for some of our listeners who maybe weren't lucky enough to hear, you know, previous uh talks about it. This is what, the sixth or seventh year of, of the State of DevOps survey? This is the sixth year, um, which is kind of amazing because, you know, I think when we first started it with the fantastic Alana Brown, who also works here at Puppet, um, everyone was a bit skeptical about it. You know, I think this was even before you'd started DevOps.com and people were like, is this sure. really a thing? You know, do we really need a survey about all of this? Uh, but I think it's just gone from strength to strength of years. So, yeah, so I guess for the people who are sort of new and may not have come across the report before, what we essentially do is we survey a whole bunch of practitioners. We've done tens of thousands of them around the world over the last six years. And what we do is we ask about the practices and the tools that they use, but also some metrics about, you know, what's your mean time between failures? How quickly can you deploy your software? You know, like what sort of practices do you use as well as what sort of outcomes you have? And then we do statistical analysis on all of that. So that we can, and we actually end up showing that there's a huge gap between what we call high-performing IT organizations and everyone else. And in fact, interestingly enough, over the last few years, we've shown that the gap is like increasing over time. So the people who've adopted DevOps practices, because essentially what we're showing is we've been able to show statistically that what we tend to call DevOps practices around using CI, using CD, using infrastructure as code software, doing continuous deployment, using testing, storing things in version control, all of these practices, when you cluster them, are the people, the people who employ these practices are the people who have higher performing organizations. And they're really huge statistics. They tend to be, you know, thousands of times better, you know, um, being able to deploy just at a ridiculously faster. And essentially what this ends up showing is that you really don't have to sacrifice quality for speed or vice versa. So we're seeing that these people are both producing higher quality infrastructure and applications, and they're doing it far more quickly everyone else. I think one of the things I'm really proud of with the DevOps report is that it's useful to sell DevOps practices within your organization. So I talk to an awful lot of customers and practitioners out there who 
are really thankful for the report because it's tends to be focused on business outcomes. So even though we're surveying practitioners, it's something that's really applicable to C-levels and VPs and directors. And they can look at this sort of thing and go, ah, you know, this is where the industry is moving and these are the sort of benefits we'll actually get. Excellent. And, and Nigel, you know, in typical humble Nigel self, you're, you're I mean, let, let's give uh, a little bit more flavor if we can. Over the five previous years, I think there's over 25,000 responses to these surveys. Yeah, no, that's right. 25,000 over five, six years. It's pretty so that, crazy. That does represent a, a you know, in a, in a field like DevOps, which is fairly new, right? It represents a, a sizable amount of people who, and organizations who have taken the time and, and contributed to the, to the data that, you know, you guys have analyzed o- over the years. And, and, and another important thing I think to, to note for our audience is the anal- not only the analysis of the data, but even the questions themselves are from a, statistic, a statistics point of view, a statistician's point of view, rigorous, rigorously designed and rigorously analyzed. And look, having a PhD, you know, a PhD statistician helping you with it doesn't hurt. Uh, but, you know, so, it, 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 you know, these are not, you know, just some... No, it's not your average sort of marketing survey at all. And I think right. this is why it's always been really important for us that, you know, we're a software vendor and we're in this space and there's a lot of people in our space who do pretty fluffy kind of surveys that, you know, only take two or three minutes and then some sort of ridiculous claim gets made. So this is why we've always been really keen on working with the external parties of Gene, Gene Kim, Jez Humble, Nicole, Dr. Nicole Forsgren. Because particularly Nicole, she's, you know, a trained statistician who's literally got a PhD and has spent her career working on studying organizational performance, which yep. overlaps with DevOps in really interesting ways. Uh, but I think having that external rigor, and I think it helps keep us honest as a software vendor. So this is something we really loved, having a partnership with them, because this is their specialty. They actually, yeah. to give them a little bit of a plug, they have their own organization, DORA, DevOps Research and Assessment, where they'll come in and do benchmarking of your organization and actually measure how you're actually doing. So I think it's just really great. Like we're clearly really plugged in as Puppet into this whole community, but they're plugged in at a different level and working together, I think means that we both get to expand reach and bring a bunch of statistical rigor to something that could easily devolve into a self-serving survey, which ultimately doesn't. Hey, Nigel. Yep. I, I, I thought I lost you there for a second. I apologize. Uh, agreed. I mean, all, all of the above. And I, I and, and that's really why I want people to understand that, that this isn't a marketing survey that you happen to have done now for six years running. I, I wanted to make another point, Nigel, and that is certainly over the last two years, at least, and I would imagine for this year as well, one of the, one of the real nuggets of wisdom that have come out of this analysis is really just how high performing or what high performing IT organizations mean, you know, to the bottom line of these companies that are, are doing it. Um, you know, it, it, I, I think at some level we all at a gut level say, well, if you, if you're performing better, you're, you're releasing faster, you know, it should translate into a better company. But 
but you know, certainly the state of DevOps report, surveying and report, is one of the few that are out there that really connects the dotted lines here. Absolutely. So are you looking for the sort of things that people are actually sort of seeing? What we're seeing, so to sort of hit some of the boom stats for last year, is that we're seeing the high-performing IT orgs three times lower change failure rate, 200 times more frequent deployments, and 24 times faster recovery from failures. And those are really amazing stats because I think they really resonate both with practitioners, who are the people who are getting woken up in the middle of the night or having to deal with the pain of a deployment that didn't work properly. But they're also the sort of stats that, you know, your average being away from the technology keyboard for a few years, high level executive can look at and they go, no, that's actually what we want. We want to be able to deploy more frequently because I think one of the lessons that SaaS has taught us is the reason a lot of SaaS companies outstrip on-premise competitors is because every time they deploy, they, it's a chance for learning. It's a chance for feedback. And Agile has taught us from you know traditional software de- development, the more frequently you can deploy, the smaller the deltas are in those deployments, and you can do more frequent course correction. So you can actually produce a much better outcome over time by deploying more frequently and being able to correct course more frequently. Yep. And to, I think, bring it back to enterprise folks, not everyone always thinks about deployments in this way, but every time you get a patch from your vendor, like that's another deployment. Every time you respond to a security incident internally, every time you have to follow through a recommendation of your audit and compliance committee, all of those things are deployments. And the more pain-free and friction-free you can make the ability to deploy within an organization, the more responsive you're going to be to all the different stakeholders. Yeah. Let me give you my favorite stat that you you omitted or just didn't get a chance to, and that is these high-performing IT organizations have 50% less vulnerabilities post-deployment. Yep. That's huge. And you're spending less time on that. And I think the other related one that's really amazing is that the high-performers spend 22% less time on unplanned work and rework. And for anyone who's been, you know, neck-deep in infrastructure, it's the unplanned work that kills you. It's the context switching. It's You're not making progress on your defined roadmap every time you're having to spend time on unplanned work. Yeah. So, the Nigel, these are all fantastic insights and metrics. So now, of course, though, we'll turn, we'll turn the table on you and say, hey, what do you got for us this year? Uh, I know it's early. I know you haven't released the report yet. You'll be – you'll probably be – you know, announcing a lot of the results, I think, come out just at the time of Does London, which, again, is June 5th and 6th. But is there anything you can share with our audience as maybe a preview? So I think one of the things I could share is we're still going through and doing the analysis, but we're seeing that, again, the high-performing orgs are achieving just as well compared to everyone else as they have in previous years. It doesn't look like there's any sort of peak as far as you know, implementing these practices. There's, I think the whole industry, even people who've been doing this for a while, have still a fair way to improve. But I think one of the really interesting things, well, there's two big ones I want to call out. One is that this year we spent a bit of time working on non-profit performance, because in previous years we've shown that commercial companies who are high-performing IT orgs tend to outperform their financial metrics, outperform in the stock market, their internal company goals. But this year we decided to focus on non-profit performance and So we're looking at things like what's their operating efficiency, like customer satisfaction, quality of the products that have been shipped. So we're actually, I think, showing that DevOps practices and high-performing IT orgs impact in a positive way all sorts of industries. So I think that's going to be one of the really interesting sections. 
The other section I think that's going to be really fascinating is that we're actually looking at what's the there's a myth out there to sort of back up a little bit that DevOps practices tend to work if you're building all of the software yourself. If you know you've got a web app, if you're building a whole bunch of stuff in Node.js or something like that and deploying it to the cloud, sure, you can do DevOps. You can do continuous integration, you can do continuous delivery. But for those of us who are sitting there running commercial off-the-shelf software, we can't actually do that and we can't actually obtain the benefits that are available by employing DevOps practices. So I think what we're going to be showing is that this isn't true, that there's a couple of things you can do as an organization in the way you consume commercial off-the-shelf software to actually let you employ continuous integration and continuous delivery. Now, the reality is you're not going to be able to test all the same kinds of things because, unfortunately, you know, lots of vendors that release software don't necessarily have an API-first policy. So you're not always going to be able to test everything inside the application, like you can't run unit tests necessarily because it's not your code. But there are a whole bunch of things you can do. And one of the big bits of guidance that we're going to be pushing is that when it comes to commercial off-the-shelf software, really try to make the installation as vanilla as possible. Don't spend forever customizing it. And if you're having to customize it because that's what your business processes say, in many ways, the lower cost and better outcome approach is to not customize the software and adjust your business processes because there's something within your control generally and if you adjust those, then it becomes simpler to deploy that software into a CI system, to have Jenkins or Bamboo or whatever, do deployments of it, do external black box testing, make sure that it actually works, and then roll it out to production. So we've got a pretty strong belief that when it comes to utility computing, to sort of use Martin Fowler's distinction between utility and strategic computing, yep. there are huge efficiency gains to be made there. But there's a few things you can do to avoid those problems. The analogy I kind of come back to is that there was a period, I think, you know, in the late 90s and early 2000s when lots of people would customize their Apache installs. You know, they would sit there and come up with this fine-grained list of modules configured in specific ways, and every time they deployed a new version of Apache, they'd eke out another 1% or 2% performance by having this really customized installation. It turns out the actual cost to the business is really great because those tend to be manual processes. You're turning yourself into a snowflake when you didn't actually need to be. And I think the more you can commoditize the software you're buying and that you're building and that you're deploying, the faster and more friction-free a lot of these processes are going to be. Got it. You know, Nigel, that uh, so I'm old. That fired up some old synapses in my brain back from the dot-com days when I, I helped start a company called Interliant. We were in early ASPD. And mind you, this is before we have a modern cloud and virtualization and, yeah. you know, ubiquitous connectivity. But we were offering hosted Lotus Notes, PeopleSoft, Oracle applications, loss in ERP. I don't know if you remember Onyx was an early CRM tool back then. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's a blast from the past, huh? Um, totally. Anyway, so we, you know, our thought was to offer hosted versions of these applications this is early, right? We called them application service providers. And what we quickly learned in, um, you know, in go-to-market, and we, we did the whole IPO thing, all of that, but what we learned from our enterprise customers was that as much as we wanted them to run a vanilla PeopleSoft or a vanilla Lawson or, or Onyx or even Lotus Notes for that matter, the best we could hope for was about 80 to 85% of, yeah. 
you know, out of the box, you know, just plug and go. They always needed. And, and so what happened was we had to change our whole business model and we wound up acquiring a bunch of like service, you know, uh, body shops, for lack of a better word, who would come in and do that last mile customization, if you will, that last 15%. And, and as a result of that, I, I will tell you, we, we, the business model failed ultimately bankrupt. And if you look at all those early ASPs, none of them really succeeded. Um, US Internetworking and Corey or some others, because we weren't able to get people to use the vanilla, the vanilla configs that would have been easy for us to host, spin up and, and put down. Um, I think you see the same thing a lot today with kind of bare metal hosting, right? Yep. Versus versus a traditional cloud virtual, you know, kind of hypervisor thing. Uh, how many people are using just vanilla bare metal kind of config versus how many have? And and you guys are puppet, right? You, you're dealing with this more than than most, right? How many people are highly highly customizing their bare me- bare metals? I think we're seeing people shift away from customization. I think there's probably a few things. Uh, one is. I think people are realizing that a lot of this industry is sort of commoditizing. And so you may as well use off the shelf stuff. And so if you're just consuming stuff the way it was sort of shipped from the vendor, whether it be hardware or software, there's sort of a general expectation that I think both software quality has improved um, as much as we like to you know, bitch and complain about software. I generally think software has gotten better than it used to be. There was no sort of golden age of incredibly rigorous enterprise software as far as I'm concerned. I mm-hmm. think stuff's getting better. So I think there's a couple of different pressures there is that software's gotten better. People have gotten more used to the idea that various things are being commoditized. And so they're more willing to entertain the notion that the next layer up is getting commoditized. And yep. we're also seeing like, so here's a good example, I think. If you consume Atlassian's Jira, the hosted version versus the on-premise version, you can't customize it as much. And if you're consuming GitHub, the public service, versus GitHub Enterprise, you can't customize it as much. And so there's a general understanding from people that, you know, an uncustomized version, or as much as is sort of possible, is actually pretty good. And we don't need to make everything completely different to everyone else because it means that you know, documentation just works out of the box and people who've used the software somewhere else can join the company and have much faster on ramp. And I think we're seeing that, and this is a somewhat optimistic approach, that there's a general desire for people to adopt software engineering principles and sort of DevOps cultural changes to get to that higher performing IT organization state. And I genuinely think if we keep pushing this sort of attitude out to people that you know don't customize your software, adjust business processes to fit instead, that's cheaper and you'll get a better outcome. I think all of those things combined sort of give me hope that we're, we're actually heading towards a world where people are giving up unnecessary customization. I hope so. But Nigel, we're so far off off our course here. <laughs> you know, we were supposed to be talking about Does London. And uh, let me let me try to bring it back. Um, so all I mean, obviously, all of this is 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 background and and and, the, you know, the this is why this survey is so important so that we see these trends and we see them so we see it manifest itself in in how companies are are doing things and 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 so forth um let me 
ask a little bit. So, Nigel, you've presented it does before, and I did an earlier interview today. I was talking to one of the program committee's uh, members for London, uh, Jonathan from uh, Hiscox. And oh yes, yep. Uh, and I'm, it's just, I, I forgive me, I'm, his last name is Jonathan Fletcher from Hiscox. Yeah. You know, and I've known Jonathan for some time. Great, great guy. Um, what we, you know, we we forget, you know, all rolled into one place in the space of two days. We we're going to be jam packed with all of this great information around DevOps and the late what we're seeing, and not only what we're seeing, but people are going to talk about what they're doing right now, right, and what they did last year versus this year versus next year, and you know what the findings are in our surveys, and I think that's what really makes for a great event, right? I, I yeah, think I think there's a couple of things that are really unique about it. I think one is that there's, it's not a vendor event. And you know, like I'm in the business of you know working at a software company and we make and sell software, but it's also really refreshing to go to an event where everyone who's on stage is really there just telling case studies. They're real-world stories. They're not product pitching to you. You know, We're not getting up and pitching proper enterprise to you at all. Um, we're getting up and talking about the DevOps report. And everyone else who's there is, and this is big, Jane's big focus, is that everyone's telling a real world case study about what's actual, what they're actually doing, where the challenges were, it's raw, it's honest. So I think that's one section of it, that it's real stories from out in the field. But perhaps more importantly, it's not just practitioners. And I think, you know, those of us who sort of have had a technical background can sometimes get too in the weeds about, you know, going and watching someone's talk about, you know, this incredibly interesting deployment they've done and what they achieved. But we're seeing business leaders talking about the actual impact on the business, how they ran large departments, large transformation projects. You know, the term digital transformation has been kicking around for quite a long time, but we tend to see very sanitized case studies. Um, driven either by a software vendor or a large consulting firm or the PR department of some multinational corporation talking about what they're doing. These tend to be really warts and all stories going, this is what we did and this is how it worked or this is how this didn't work. And I think some of those are some of the more fascinating stories where people are getting up and talking about, here were our lofty ambitions and we only got 60% of the way there and these were the problems we ran into. And that I think is just really, really powerful. So I think the fact that you've got senior business leaders and executives there, um, as well as the fact that they're all real-world case studies, is just a really, really powerful combination. Yep. I, I, I agree with you. As a matter of fact, one of the things I'd love to see is more people get up and talk about uh, failures, right? Where, where maybe DevOps, they didn't do it right or... Um, you know, what, what they could have done differently or what have you, where it didn't work out right and this is what we did as a result. Because I think too many people come out of these events, out of Jane's thing sometimes, and it's like, you know, it's all rainbows and unicorns and, and horses and yeah. and that's great. But we, we, you know, as a dad, I try to teach this to my kids. You don't always win. And that's why, you know, you got to learn to deal with failure and how to recover from that as well. And, and I think those are some of the best lessons for people to learn is we learn more from our failures than from our successes sometimes. Absolutely. So. And I think it's, it's hard because we haven't always had a culture in the IT industry of actually 
performing postmortems and retrospectives on large projects that we've done. So it's people don't always have great answers for how they would have done things differently. But I think that's something that's actually also starting to shift um, quite considerably. We're seeing, you know, DevOps has been a big part of that of, you know, let's do blameless postmortems. And hopefully that continues so that we see more people being open about their failures. Because I think one of the things I find really frustrating, this has happened to me more than once, and I don't think this is going to identify any one customer or um, user because they do so many of them, seeing, you know, senior executives at Amazon summits get up and talk about how fantastic their whole cloud migration journey has been and that they're all in the cloud and everything's done and it's absolutely wonderful. And then you'll go talk to the VPs or directors who are actually running those departments and they'll be like, oh God, no, you know, we've only moved 5% of things and it's been a miserable failure and we've now added three years to the project because we've fallen over organizational boundaries. So I think that gap between the sort of PR style business leader talk and the reality, um, that's not a gap that actually exists at the, at the DevOps Enterprise Summits, which I think has been really fantastic. Yep, agreed, agreed. Well, Nigel, our little 15-minute chat has turned into a solid half hour, and <laughs> uh, I think we're going to need to call a, a, a break here. We are looking forward to, you know, the release of, of this year's analysis of the survey. Looking forward to your presentation along with Dr. Nicole at uh, Gene Kim's DevOps Enterprise Summit in London, June 5th and 6th. And just always looking forward to what you're up to and what the folks at Puppet are up to. Uh, many people, you know, when they think DevOps, they think of companies like Puppet, right? A leader in, I don't know if they're ever going to do a DevOps magic quadrant, but, um, or some <laughs> stuff like that, right? But I mean, seriously, Puppet, Puppet's one of the cornerstones here. And, uh, and you're one of the cornerstones of Puppet. So it's always great to hear what's happening from you and, and uh, getting caught up. It's a pleasure. Oh, thanks, Alan. So I, I, will, I will get one little pitch in, which is because of DevOps Enterprise Summit being in London that week, um, we're going to be announcing pretty soon that we've got a Puppet camp happening pretty soon afterwards. So there'll be a Puppet camp in London. And this will be a slightly different tweak on the Puppet Camp format. We've run hundreds and hundreds of these events over the last few years. But we're doing a slightly different thing where we're having a sort of more executive manager-focused morning and a more practitioner-focused afternoon. So if you're someone who's an IT architect, you might find mornings and afternoons both applicable. But we're really looking to try and join together the conversation for sort of senior executive leaders as well as the practitioners on the ground. So we're already collecting a whole bunch of really great talks both for the morning and for the afternoon. But for those of you who are into Puppet, look out for a Puppet Camp London coming soon after DevOps Enterprise Summit. All right. We'll, we'll try to get info on that up on DevOps.com for anyone interested. Um, Nigel, fantastic, man. Thank you so much for the time today. We appreciate it. Nigel Kirsten of Puppet here on DevOps Chat. This is Alan Schimmel for DevOps Chat. Hopefully we'll see you soon at the next on the next DevOps Chat. Until then, have a great day.